Good afternoon, everybody. My name is Andrew Don, and I am the Children and Family Law Trial Panel Director, um, which means that uh, I oversee the approximately 900 attorneys that do um, uh, care and protection work for the Children and Family Law Program uh, in Massachusetts and that are private vendors. Um, so uh, let Let's talk for a minute about um, CPCS's mission. And can you just talk, go to number two, please? So um, the CPCS or the Committee for Public Counsel Service is the public defender agency in Massachusetts. We're funded by the Commonwealth to provide um, attorneys to indigent clients. So those that qualify to be found indigent um, uh, according to the, um, the standard set in court uh, in important cases where constitutional rights are at stake. Uh, so what are those um, cases? Could you go to the next slide, please, Anne? Um, those cases um, involve the uh, um, allegations of crimes committed by adults, the criminal law cases, also those allegations of uh, crimes if they were committed by children, which are delinquency and um, uh, cases, and those are handled by the Youth Advocacy Division or YAD, also youthful offender cases, the child welfare cases, which is what the Children and Family Law or CAFL program um, oversees, and those include cases where there's allegations of abuse or neglect in a family, as well as what are called children requiring assistance or CRA matters which are what are known as status offenses like truancy, not attending school, running away from the home, not obeying the reasonable um, requests at home or in school as well as sexually exploited children. Another division is the uh, mental health panel, the sexually dangerous person or SORB cases, as well as trial and post-conviction and post-judgment appeals. I should mention also that with the criminal law, the delinquencies, the child welfare cases and mental health cases also have appellate divisions. So there's both trial work to be done as well as appeals work to be done in these cases. Um, this work is done uh, throughout the Commonwealth by approximately 500 staff attorneys and about 3000 private attorneys. For the Children and Family Law Program, we have about 900 um, attorneys that are involved in doing our work. Um, there are people that also do work on multiple panels. Um, so I end to the next slide, please. Who are our clients? There are people in Massachusetts who cannot afford attorneys um, where there is a constitutional or statutory right to counsel. In our cases, the Children and Family Law um, cases there has been deemed to be a constitutional right because of the state's intervention into one's family, which is um, constitutionally protected. There are also some statutory right to counsel in our cases. So for instance, in guardianship cases uh, in uh, both probate court and in juvenile court, there is a statutory right for now uh, guardians if there's a challenge uh, to ending the guardianship. So that would be an example of a statutory right. Um, this is really important uh, work that's being done here or, and that we're inviting you to have an opportunity to be involved with this work. 
all these are extremely uh, important situations. It's hard to imagine something more vulnerable or more important than the life of a family. And that uh, our work in, um, invites you to help a family address the issues that they have in their family, shepherd them through really scary and um, a complicated systems like the Department of Children and Families. And you're really helping people here with have very little power. One of the things I just wanna emphasize is sometimes when people hear about child and abuse um, and neglect cases, people are very concerned about what, you know, am I really signing up to help people who abuse children? That's really not who our client base is. The clients that we deal with are um, you almost always accused primarily of neglect. And it's, uh, as you might imagine, poverty issues are at the uh, forefront of these cases, as well as, um, uh, racial and ethnic biases uh, by the systems that these people come in contact with and that you have the opportunity to help these people in these very vulnerable moments um, in their lives and to make a huge difference uh, with for them. Um, at this point, I'm going to uh, turn this uh, presentation over to Teresa Coney. Let me unmute. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, my name is Teresa Coney. I am the racial equity trainer for CPCS. So I am responsible for uh, training both staff and private counsel um, across the Commonwealth of Massachusetts in all who practice in all of our practice areas about how race and equity impact uh, the legal systems in which we all work and practice. So I'm gonna to talk to you a little bit about why, um, why you would wanna do this work. Um, one is that you can be an agent for change. Um, there are uh, issues, children and families of color are disproportionately involved in the state intervention system, um, especially at the front door of our cases and people make allegations more frequently in communities of color. Uh, this is believed to be because of a surveillance effect in communities where schools, medical facilities, police departments, and other institutions have established procedures for calling DCF when there are low-level concerns that simply don't exist in wealthier, often white communities. And the people who work in the CAFL division can make a change in um, be an agent for change in this respect. There's also um, valuable courtroom experience that you have as a result of working for CAFL, uh, where you really get a chance to change lives and engage in powerful, impactful work. Uh, an example of that would be uh, the joy that you feel after a parent is reunited with their child after a three-year separation due to mental health issues, when either the parent um, has overcome those issues or when doctors have indicated from the onset that those mental health issues that she was being tasked as having by the Department of Children and Family Service Services was not actually a valid issue for that parent. Um, you can speak on behalf of these these parents and these children. Um, 
an exa another example of a powerful and impactful work that we that we engage in is helping children maintain relationships with their families. Um, I'll give an example of a child who was placed out of his home. His um, home was primarily Sp a Spanish-speaking home. He was placed in a home when he was approximately three years old um, with a family who did not speak his native language. As a result of being in care uh, from the time that he was three until he um, was a teenager, he lost the ability to speak his native language and often is uh, impacted and feels um, concerned about returning home to engage with his family because he can't really actually speak to them. This is a chance that we have to make a powerful impact in the work that we do and change the lives of our clients. Also, you can see by the examples that I have given that there is important racial equity work to be done in the child welfare system. Um, I'll give you an example of a hospital uh, where a child came in with burns uh, that were a result of um, having, uh, being wet with boiling water. And the, initial response was to call DCF and there was a uh, African-American nurse who worked in the hospital who was able to explain to the doctors how um, as a result of this teenage child who was getting her hair done in braids, which is a uh, traditional hairstyle for African-American people, um, part of what they do is dip your hair in boiling water in order to seal it. So um, when her hair was being dipped in the boiling water and it was being towel dried off, some of the hair hit her skin and that's how the burns occurred. Um, so instead of calling DCF on this family, um, because of this nurse who was of um, African-American descent or anyone who is aware of issues of racial inequity, um, you can work with these families and, this, and these children to make a difference in their lives. Next slide, please. So part of what um, our organization has done is to create a CAFL Racial Justice Task Force. Uh, CPCS created the CAFL Racial Justice Task Force um, in 2020. I believe we started in the summer of 2020. And it is a group of private attorneys and staff members working with the Committee for Public Counsel Services to address the systemic racism of our that our clients face every day in the child welfare and uh, family regulation systems. The CAFL uh, Racial Justice Task Force, uh, as I said, began in 2020 and to stand united against an oppressive system in our fight against racism. There are five subcommittees of the CAFL Racial Justice Task Force. The Community Connections Committee, which develops um, which works with community groups to center the voices of those who are impacted by DCF and communicates with community organizations and initiatives uh, with local and national child protective uh, community and, and movements to, to change the child protective community at their center. Um, 
It, there is the training and development subcommittee who explore creating training materials in conjunction with the training department to develop motions and other relevant racial justice or racial equity materials for use in court and in conversations with DCF social workers and other stakeholders. There's the communications subcommittee, which explores connecting all members of the steering group, which is the lead group of the organization and the larger volunteer group, which consists of about a hundred um, private attorneys and staff members in all um, in the child welfare system, but the staff members are social workers, um, um, administrative assistants, anyone who practices in our area. Um, there's the research and analysis subcommittee, which is exploring, collecting, creating, and analyzing data from relevant resources to inform the work of the committee and track the results. And finally, there's the uh, CAFL United Field Work Support Subcommittee. And that subcommittee, CAFL United, explores providing opportunities for individuals within staff offices and the panel of the division to address concerns related to racial issues, both in the organization and externally, working to develop and institute specific techniques to address race-based issues on child protective cases. Next slide, please. So I feel like um, I might be missing one slide about the task force. Okay, there we go. The task force has three responsibilities. The task force identifies anti-racist advocacy objectives and strategies and works with others to implement those strategies. They consider how to uh, support CAFL private attorneys and staff members seeking uh, fair treatment of and better outcomes for their clients of color in individual cases. And they consider what uh, should be done to improve systemic uh, issues and improve in treatment and outcomes for clients of color. One of the, the things that the uh, CAFL Racial Justice Task Force has instituted recently is a joint training where they um, had members of um, the defense bar and attorneys and staff members from the Department of Children and Family work together to, uh, to create a three-part training. Um, the first part of the training has already um, happened. The training is to really address race and equity and figure out ways that we could work cooperatively to um, engage with one another and impact racial and systemic issues in our system. Um, for the first training, they watched the movie Dawnland, which I would recommend. Uh, I believe the, the website is dawnland.org that you go and, and have an opportunity to view that movie. It talks about um, how uh, there is a uh, child, there is a Native American in, uh, Child Welfare Act that tries to correct some of the inequities that um, our country has done to the Native American people uh, systemically. Um, they, or, or in the training, they watched that movie jointly and then discussed how that movie could be used or how the principles in the movie could be used to address 
racial inequities on a more broad basis um, and really talking about how the systemic issues that are uh, introduced through the Dawnland movie still seem to exist for people of color. Um, another program that they are doing in the Racial um, Justice Task Force is they're having community conversations with clients around the state um, and inviting communities of color into conversations with uh, professionals, with the private bar, with the staff attorneys, and with our social workers in order to um, hear their voices and address concerns that they present to us. Next slide, please. And these are some of the other things that we are doing um, with racial equity training. My position is held in the racial equity training department and we um, created a racial equity training team that consists of an individual from each of the major practice areas in the office to work cooperatively to figure out how we can use um, case law and statistics and any information that's generated in one practice area to impact and influence the other. Um, we, uh, one of the ways that we did that was we took at the, at the Why Race Matters speaker series, which you see further down on the list, we took uh, the Harvard report about, um, it, about the disparities in the criminal justice system and um, had breakout groups where we discussed how disparities uh, look in the child welfare system and the family regulation system and what type of similar studies that we could gather like the Harvard study to impact that and also how you could use the, the Harvard study to talk about how um, parents of the children that we support or parents or family members um, of the parents that we support um, are impacted by the, the criminal justice system. Um, the training department also has a specific CAFL division, which works to put race and equity at the forefront of all of its trainings. Um, we are uh, getting ready to commence a racial equity summer internship program where the interns from the entire agency will um, have a program that focuses on race and equity, working with the communities, working with each of the division areas to see how race can be uh, addressed in our practices. And also, um, if you go on My Gideon, there is a race equity uh, page where you can find the Why Race Matters speaker series and other materials that we are collecting. And that covers our race and equity portion. I will now pass it over to Dana. Thanks, Teresa. Um, hi, everybody. My name is Dana Schenevert, and I am a member of the trial panel and also the appellate panel. Um, there was a question about whether you can um, sit on both panels or take work from both panels, and you can. Um, so the types of cases we work on um, in both panels, in the, in the trial panel, you see there on your screen. So we have the care and protection cases um, where um, DCF generally has brought a case saying that there are children um, in need of care and protection um, at risk of imminent harm um, by their caregivers. We also get appointed um, in contested guardianship cases out of the probate uh, and private contested adoptions. Usually these are out of the probate 
and family courts. Um, and then back in the juvenile court, we also get appointed to child requiring assistance or what's called now CRAs um, and Mary Mo cases where um, there is a, um, a young mother seeking to terminate um, a pregnancy um, without parental consent. Um, private, I'm a private bar attorney, as we said, uh, Drew was saying there was about 3,000 of us and we are, um, impaneled also on guardianship, the guardianship and private adoption panels. Um, for, for this one, there's usually a uh, biannual training every two years, a, a training. Um, but since the enactment of the new statute um, giving these ligands, um, um, there's a, a court appoint of uh, the right to counsel. Um, you know, the, up, there'll be an uptick in court appointed cases here. So they might start to have trainings more frequently um, for the guardianship and private adoption panels. The annual certification training for the care and protection cases, um, it happens it's annually, it happen, happens once a year. Can we go to the next slide? Um, so what is our role on these cases? And it's pretty much, I mean, it's, <laughs> It's, a, it's an understatement to say to just give a voice to the indigent, the children and the parents that we represent. I primarily on the appellate panel and, and when I was doing, when I was super active on the trial panel, I would represent parent clients who, um, who would not ordinarily have quality access, I guess, to the system, but for you know, the, the advocacy, my advocacy and the advocacy of um, private bar attorneys like me who are passionate about doing this work, passionate about making sure that they get their voices heard, passionate about making sure um, that they get a fair shake. So that's our jobs. Um, as Teresa was saying, you know, the population in the child welfare space is um, people of color brown and black are um, overrepresented. So um, it's super important that we are able to um, participate in recruiting efforts like this so that um, we can have a diverse, a diverse body of, of uh, people to pull from so we could um, provide the strongest advocacy for um, our clients as possible. Can we go to the next slide? So what are things that are cool about practicing um, with CAFL? There are a lot of things. Um, you can, you know, through doing this work, you can hang your own shingle, as they say, you can open your own practice, which is what I did back in 2015. And you can, um, you know, depending on which panels you'd like to be, uh, that you're interested in joining, the type of work that you're interested in doing, you can be um, impaneled, like you said, on more than, you know, one uh, panel, the panels that you want to, and you can make your practice what you want it to be. Um, the work has flexibility, which was something that drew me to um, the, the work. Um, at the time that I became um, impaneled or a member of the panel, I had had um, a baby. I had a baby in 2015, so it was really convenient for me to be able to manage him and stay at home while doing work, doing the things that I'm passionate about, which is, um, you know, child rights advocacy and um, and and uh, appellate work, which is what I primarily do. Um, and one thing that's great about working on the panel is that you can uh, 
you know, payment is reliable. Sometimes when we have our own practice, <laughs> you guys might be able to um, relate to this. You know, you have the retained clients, but sometimes, you know, they're a little slow to pay or maybe you didn't take a big enough retainer and they're slow to re-up. This work you're paid to do, you're paid as you bill, right? And so this is what we do. We do the work and um, it's a pretty, it's a decent rate of pay. Actually, that's been, um, that's, that's under review for being increased um, next fiscal year, but it's steady work and it's expectable payment, you know, that you're going to get paid for the work that you do. And then also it's, it's, it is rewarding. Now, the issues that we deal with with this clientele are complex. Uh, they're difficult. Lots of issues, you know, domestic violence, mental health um, issues, um, medical neglect sometimes. And um, sometimes it's hard. Uh, these issues are really, really hard. And um, but what you get, what you get from doing this work is the satisfaction of knowing that you have helped. Um, and you can usually see it, you can usually see immediately sort of the impact that you've had um, where these, these clients sometimes, you know, by the time they get to you, maybe at trial or even on appeal, um, they feel like they have not been heard. The system is not hearing them. And by giving them that voice and by connecting with them and by, you know, providing zealous advocacy for these clients, um, it makes you feel good that you're connecting and using your special skill, your special power to help somebody who, who could not help themselves. Um, and then another cool thing about this work is that you are never alone in doing it. Um, you know, you start your own practice and built into the trial the trial panel is a mentor program. Everybody gets um, a mentor and there's actually a mentorship program where, you know, for however long it takes you to feel comfortable for you to get your sea legs, there's someone there to um, to bounce ideas off of. I know that um, when I came on to the panel, I had my mentor on speed dial and she was amazing. Um, you know, always there to answer questions, to guide you through, to talk out the issues, the theory of your case, um, all of that, the support is there. And not only from the mentorship panel, but also from the support. Um, Drew Don, who spoke to you earlier, is um, is um, is an awesome support, um, very responsive. And that's how all of the CAFL staff are. So um, there's never a time when you're going to feel um, that you are you're you're trying to you're going it alone, that you're by yourself. Um, one thing I found to be um, helpful about being on the panel is being able to practice in all different courts, right? So it's not just, um, you know, one or two counties that you're practicing and you can be assigned to um, counties all over um, Massachusetts um, and be able to get the, you know, the courts and the um, um, and just the landscape makes for some nice drives sometimes out to Western Washington. You got a case out there. I mean, sorry, Western at Western Mass when you got a case out there. Um, I'm also I'm also licensed in Washington. I'm very confused sometimes about where I am. All right. So and if you do a ton of family, if you do family law at all, um, if you do this work, you'll become well versed um, with working um, with DCF. Right. And so from um, you know, if you're in the family court, if you're in probate and family court, sometimes DCF does get involved. And if you have this work informing that practice, you become the go-to person in the family law courts. So, you know, you become their specialist, 
might, might result in some referrals to you. Um, but um, there's, there's uh, some value um, in that cross-training that happens there in the, the intersections of those cases where those things intersect. Um, it's a great networking opportunity, um, but but most importantly for me, I think that I do the work because of the rewards that it gives. Um, next slide, Anne. Trial experience. This is um, another great thing. You get, um, like I said, the cases are complex, not only for, well, yes, because of the issues and then because of the, the tools that you get to use while flushing out, um, while advocating for your clients. There's forensic evaluations, you to work, you know, medical records involving injuries to children, sexual abuse um, allegations, things to, um, you know, to look into there, batterers evaluations, forensic bone injury dating reports, lots of complicated trial evidentiary legal issues. Um, if you'd like to stretch yourself that way, the, the panel will give you the opportunity to do that, or the, doing work on the panel will give you the opportunity to do that. Um, and, and there's training, like I said, lots of support where you'll never feel like you have to um, learn these things on your own. Um, next slide, please, Anne. And then there's the appellate practice, the appellate experience. And so this is what I sort of transitioned, I sort of gravitated to um, when I got on, when I was impaneled on the trial panel, and then I got onto the appellate panel, I was forced to decide what kind of attorney did I want to be? Because it is very difficult to manage an active trial practice while um, while managing an active appellate practice. But with the appellate experience, you know you're working with parents um, or children. You're you're getting to play both sides. You know, advocate for both sides, the appellants or the appellees, and all of these cases get oral argument. So you get one to one. Um, you know, interaction with a three panel member of the appeals court on every and all of these cases for now. And that's fun prepping for oral argument, you know, drafting the brief, um, you know, prepping for oral argument, advocating that way um, is also very satisfying. And it all makes for a busy, exciting practice, guys. Like I said, you can make your practice what you want it to be, whether you want to be the CRA panel, the child welfare panel, the guardianship and adoption panel, the opportunities are all there. Um, and it's uh, um, and it's all for a great, great cause. Like I said, you can you can try to effectuate change. Um, but most most importantly, I guess for me, is that you have your clients who um, have the voice um, and you're, you were giving that to them. Um, all right, so, and oh, like I stated before, we get um, mentors and training. Uh, you're never alone. It's not just you come in, you get training. It's you come in, you get the training, you get the mentorship and the training continues um, as you continue to develop, uh, develop your practice. All right, so with that, I think my portion here is done. I'll hand it over to <laughs> to Anne. Thanks, Dana. You're welcome. I'm Ann Naris. I am a supervising attorney with the CAFL Appellate Panel Support Unit. So I work directly now with the appellate attorneys on the private panel. I'm going to um, talk a little bit about the application process and the training process. If you have any questions at all, um, 
about any of this stuff that's being covered, we do have our email address uh, at the end of the presentation. So feel free to reach out to anybody here on this panel or myself or Drew in particular about anything that we're talking about, specifically though, especially about the application process. We have a special uh, email account, capital attorney at publiccouncil.net. If you're interested in applying or have questions about how to get on any of the CAFL panels, you can shoot an email to that email account and someone will get back to you very quickly. And we're happy to answer any questions at all. So I personally come from a private attorney background. I was a probate and family court, divorce family law attorney for a few years before I switched. Um, I, I didn't even switch. I started doing this work in the juvenile courts on the trial panel. Uh, many years ago, and I found it to be a very rewarding addition and supplement to my private practice. And I found it to be not a respite, but a nice um, addition to the type of work that I was doing on other cases. Um, so the trial panel has a application process. We have a CAFL training website that you can access that will post the application. Um, you can email us and we will send you notice when that goes up and so that you can uh, access that, fill out the application, get a couple of references and file the packet via email right online with CPCS and we review the applications. Um, every training, there's uh, you apply for the training, you go to the training, you complete it, and then you end up certified to accept cases on behalf of the Committee for Public Counsel Services on these care and protection cases and these other cases that we've been talking about. We actually formally were doing one trial panel certification a year. Um, there has been an increase now. We're usually doing two a year more recently in large part because there's been an uptick in the number of filings and there's actually somewhat of an attorney shortage. We have a need for more lawyers in many areas around the state, especially out West. If you guys have friends and colleagues who work out West um, and that might be interested in doing this work, please send them our way. We'd be happy to speak with them, but um, so, Long story short, too late, I know, we do tend to have two certification trainings a year now, one in the spring and one in the fall. And I expect that will continue for the, for the foreseeable future. Um, I will say that there's uh, also a separate training for the appellate panel. I am gonna pause here and just make reference to the fact that this right now we're talking all about our private attorneys. There are um, other positions with the Committee for Public Counsel Services in CAFL that are staff positions. So the staff positions are a little bit different. They, uh, they are nine to five, you don't get paid by the hour, it's not contract work, you work for the agency. You might see those types of positions posted uh, in other places, other job listing sites. But what we're talking about in this training is for private counsel who have your own practice and are, are contracted to accept cases on behalf of the committee as appointed. So that means that you can um, also say, no, I'm, I'm not in a position to accept a case right now. So that there um, is some flexibility there too. You're not a staff attorney on these panels. You run your practice and you, you can take the cases as you're able to manage given your other workload that you've got going on. Um, if you have any questions about that, feel free to email me. Um, and I'm happy to, or even call me, we can have a conversation about what that looks like. But um, the trial panel uh, application um, for the trial panel is for a five-day training. Um, that training is very interactive. They cover everything from trial practice skills, like cross-examination and entering expert evidence to, you know, um, the real due process, constitutional legal issues. You get a, the full gamut of trial practice training and uh, panel related training. 
The appellate panel training is a little bit different and it's separate. It's a three day long training. We've recently been doing them via webinar for four half days, but, um, and that really focuses more on appellate practice. I'm gonna give a shout out for that training because you can take the stuff you learn about appeals and appellate practice and apply them to any other kind of um, cases that you have. So I found that when I was in private work to be very helpful that I knew how to set up issues on appeal, how to develop the record, how to then brief and argue a case. And that, that, goes, that training goes above and beyond what you're learning for the CAFL purposes. So, um, I do wanna say that if you um, want to apply, you just have to um, you know, keep an eye out for the, the application. Like I said, they're publicly posted on the website. You can let us know, just fill it out. It can all be submitted online. It's pretty, it's pretty user-friendly, not too complicated, not too arduous, or um, it's, it's a two-page application and then um, some additional materials that are requested. And then once you finish the training and are certified, you start accepting uh, cases out of whatever, if you're on the trial panel, you can, you go to one county or another and you become part of that advocacy group. And then you start taking cases out of any given court that you select once you get um, assigned to that county and that courthouse. And the process for accepting cases is different for every courthouse, but Traditionally, what will happen is a care and protection will be filed. The courthouse will reach out to you if they have noticed that you're probably available. Um, and then you get assigned and you begin working. And once you uh, are assigned to the case, you get a special number that allows you to bill CPCS directly. You submit monthly bills to CPCS. Um, the hourly rate is set by statute. Right now, the hourly rate is $55 an hour for almost all the care and protection cases. That's the appellate rate as well as the um, trial panel rate. That is expected to increase to $65 an hour. There is a proposed piece of legislation that will increase that rate. And um, assuming that everything goes as planned, uh, that will increase for CAFL attorneys to the um, higher $65 an hour rate. Can't guarantee it, I don't think standing here today, but. Um, that's that's what's expected. So that's that's basically everything about ap applying for the panels, um, the trainings, and then billing to CPCS as a vendor uh, for the agency. You do have to get your own private, um, you know, malpractice liability insurance. You do have to maintain your own BBO uh, licensure and that sort of thing. There is an expectation that you do have some sort of ability to meet with your clients in office space. Um, that sort of thing, but we can, if you have any questions about what is the expectations on your end, uh, if applying for the panel, we're happy to answer those questions as well. So I'm going to um, just real quickly show you this last slide. These are our contact information for questions about the trial panel. You can contact Rudon, who spoke so eloquently at the beginning of the training. His email address is here. If you have questions about the appellate panel, you can feel free to reach out to myself, A. Naris at publiccouncil.net, or Andy Cohen is the director and his email address is here as well. We're happy to answer any questions you have. So I'm going to stop the screen share and invite anybody to ask any questions you might have in the chat. And any one of the panelists are available to answer questions that you might have. While we're waiting for any questions, Anne, I just want to mention that we do have an upcoming trial um, panel training in September, and that if you're interested in that, if you if you want, you can get a head start on that and just send an email 
or letter of interest to the uh, and your resume to the CAFL um, attorney email address that is on the slide. I also put it earlier in the chat and um, we will affirmatively reach back to you um, when the other um, uh, application materials or things are available. Does anybody have any questions about the work or the, um, the application process or the kinds of cases that we see, the different panels, anything at all? I guess we were that good. <laughs> <laughs> we covered everything. Covered it all. <laughs> oh, I see a question. Let's see if I'm gonna read it. Do you need to start in the trial panel? No, you don't. We do on the appellate panel. We do have plenty of attorneys who we look, we generally look for someone either who has a significant amount of experience in the juvenile courts doing child welfare or care and protection cases or the probate and family court or we tend to look at uh, attorneys that have significant appellate experience or legal research experience in writing. We, we've definitely had attorneys come out of law school who have had a developed interest in legal research and appellate advocacy join our panels. Uh, so no, it's certainly not a requirement that you start on the trial panel and then go to the appellate panel. We've actually had, had it go both ways too. We have some people that are drawn to the appellate work, start doing the appeals and find it so interesting what they're reading in all these transcripts that they then go and, and join the trial panel as well because they want to get in on the action on the ground floor. So um, yes, we have it both ways. All right, I'm, I'm not, I don't know if there's, um, oh, here we go. Do many folks take cases from CAFL, juvenile and adult criminal panels? I, I can speak from personal experience. I was on the criminal and the juvenile or the CAFL and the criminal panels for some time. I, I found I was able to balance that pretty well. Um, so yes, there are people, definitely people that are interested in more than one. I don't know if Drew, you've, Find that to be the case or there are some that do that and those people really are particularly valuable um, because they understand all the ins and outs of all those different systems but i think it's also true that there's not a lot of them um, i think both the um each of these panels tends to kind of have its own little world developed with it and certain responsibilities um, so it's certainly possible to do it there are people that do it i think you are a you, you are a better, more well-rounded attorney for doing it, but the, the, the truth, there's not a lot. There's not a lot. We got a question about whether or not the trainings uh, cost money. And um, that's kind of a two-part answer. The certification trainings do. I think the appellate training is $150 uh, for the webinar version that we've been doing. I don't know, Drew, if you remember what the- so, I believe it was 150 for the last one. And that was to cover um, the costs of the manuals that, that we give you yeah. um, as well as some of the other materials. Uh, yeah. When you do the trial panel training, and um, you get a two volume 
uh, manual from MCLE about child welfare practice. So that's included in that as well. So it's to help to cover those costs. Mm -hmm. And then once you are on the panels, we do regular and frequent uh, training for our panel members. And that is, those are usually no cost at all. We, we a uh, big part of what we do is to support our attorneys is provide regular trainings and updates and, and that sort of thing. That's all part of being a, a CPCS attorney for free. You, you also get um, access to information about other trainings that are being offered by other organizations um, in the literature um, that goes out. Um, I think for Catholic, they, they send out a newsletter once a week from the training department that updates everyone on uh, trainings, not only within CAFO, but there could be trainings, especially now in the time of Zoom that are happening across the country that relates to CAFO work that are free that you will have access and information about. I do wanna give a plug too that Teresa mentioned earlier, we have a website that's accessible if you're on the panels called My Gideon and they have a ton of great materials to support your practice and there's training materials and sample motions and you know clinical articles and experts information. There's, it's just a great resource that's available to attorneys who are certified on the panel to kind of support you in the work that you do. So I'm not seeing any other questions. Um, I don't know if we should wrap it up or. Uh, all right. Well, thank you, everybody, for the opportunity to come speak with us. Um, to come listen to us speak about the work that we do. We are all very passionate about how important this stuff is for kids and for families in the Commonwealth. And we really do invite you to reach out to us and ask questions. And if you have any thoughts or comments, please don't hesitate to let us know. We'd, we'd love to hear from you and hope you consider joining us in this important work. Thanks, Thank everybody. You, bye. Thank you. Thanks, guys.